Father, thank you so much for today. God, it's your day. And Lord, I pray that in, in these next few moments that all of the rest of the world for us will just sort of fade away. That we won't be worried about anything else. We won't be thinking about anything else. We won't be focused on anything else. That God, you will uh, fight against uh, our nature and fight against Satan to remove distractions so that God, we can hear your word. That we can be affected by your word. That we can be changed by your word. So God, have your way now. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so... Before I get into the content of the message this morning, I want to start uh, with a short uh, video clip that will help you kind of get an idea of where we're going. Is this right, Dave? Assembled it myself last night. I think I did an okay job. Just okay? What if something bad happens? We just moved to the next town. <laughs> just okay is not okay. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Phil, are you guys good with brakes? We're okay. Just okay? We got a saying here. The brakes don't stop it, something will. That's not a real saying. It is around here. I wrote it. <laughs> Just okay is not okay. Have you ever worked for Dr. Francis? Oh yeah, he's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? <laughs> well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay. <laughs> I would tell you right now, if I need my brakes fixed... I don't want them fixed by somebody that thinks, you know, they'll just do an okay job. If, if I'm going to have surgery, I don't want surgery by somebody that just got reinstated... And it's going to figure it out because it's okay. I, I, want, I want a surgeon that's great. I want a surgeon like Dr. Moult. That's what I want. <laughs> I don't want just okay. I want great. And we just had, church, we had a great week. We've just had a great week here at Orchardville Church. We had a, the presence of a great baseball player, Daryl Strawberry, who has four World Series championships and was an all-star Major League Baseball player eight different times. He's a great baseball player, but he's also become a great man of God. And in the process of four nights here at Orchardville, we saw some great responses to a great message from a great man of God. We saw, we saw a lot of people make choices and decisions about how they're living for Jesus, how they're following Jesus. One night, and it was, I think it was Tuesday night, um, so it was the next to the last night, just as, as uh, Daryl got to the end of his message and he was going to invite people to respond he just felt led of the Lord to step down off the platform and he walked to the back row and he sat down because what he was trying to, to ex, uh, express and, and share with the congregation that evening was what it was like for him 
when he was still fighting, you know, trying to follow God like he should, and he went back and he sat down in a chair back there and he said, I was sitting back in the back of the church in a seat just like this and I was gripping my chair trying to decide whether or not that I would move and I realized that I just had to move. I had to follow God. That my life was not all right the way that it was. And so he stood back up and he walked back down the aisle. And church, if you weren't here, you missed something amazing. Because there was a young lady that was sitting in that back row right beside where he sat down. He had no idea who she was. And when he got up and started walking down the aisle, she got right up behind him and just followed him straight to the front. And when he turned around, there she was. It was incredible. I mean, he had no idea that she had gotten up to follow him down the aisle. And church, that was a great response to a great call of God in her life. She got up. She didn't care who saw her. She didn't care what what anybody thought. She's like, he didn't even ask anybody to move yet, but I got to come get some of what I know God is offering. So we've just had a great, great week. So what do you do after a great week like that? What does a church do after a great week like that? Absolutely. We want to have more great weeks. But let me, let me tell you what I think the Lord has laid on my heart this morning. Because I think the tendency and the temptation in far too many congregations around America... And we're one of those congregations, so we're not immune from it, church. I think one of the tendencies and one of the temptations is to go, wow, that was really pretty good. And so, you know, I'm okay now. We're okay. I think one of the tendencies is to say, hey, somebody got saved. That was really cool. And now, you know what? We're okay. We're okay. Let's just go back to normal. Let's just go back to same old, same old. There's a tendency, I think, for some churches to say, well, you know, I don't know what you need to get all amped up about. Yeah, that was so cool and everything. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, we're just going to go back to another week. And, you know, maybe some weeks some good things happen, some don't. You know, but hey, we got enough money in the bank, so it's all okay. We're good. Or somebody might say, you know, I don't know what the big deal is. I don't know why we need to get all all urged up and, and, and be all anxious about things. You know, we got plenty of time. We got plenty of time. No big rush. We're okay. And church, whatever your thinking is in terms of whether we're okay or not, let me just make a word of caution about the idea that we got plenty of time. See, Brother James, in the book of James chapter 4, he said, boast not of tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow has. So you don't even know if there's a tomorrow for you. I don't know if there's a tomorrow for me. And we'll talk about going here and going there and doing this and doing that. And what's the big rush? What's the big hurry about getting all on fire for Jesus? We got time. Why in the world do we need to worry about other people? We got plenty of time. What's the big rush? 
Well, James says in chapter 4, you don't even know about tomorrow. Let me, let me tell you what the Bible says that we do know, though. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll put this on the screen for you. Paul says, uh, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. I don't even need to write this because you yourselves know perfectly, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You know two things. I don't even need to write you about this, but I'm going to remind you anyway. You know two things. You know that the day of the Lord, so you know that there is a day of the Lord. There is a day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is when God says, time's up. Do you know that there is a day coming when God says, time's up? So God promises us that there is a day of the Lord and that day is coming. And when that day comes, it will be time's up. There is no more time to make decisions for God. There is no more time to win your friends to Christ. There is no more time. You know that. You also know, based on what Paul said, that it will come like a thief in the night. Which means that you know that you don't know when it's going to be. You know that there is a day of the Lord and you know that you don't know when that day is coming. And that's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter five, he says that we need to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. In other words, we, church, need to be using time to its greatest asset that we can possibly wring out of it. We need to wring everything we can for our own benefit, for our own value, for our own get ahead of everybody else, for beating the Joneses. Is that what we need to be redeeming the time for? Yes or no? No. What does Paul say that we need to be redeeming the time for? Because the days are evil. We have to redeem the time for the cause of Christ. And so a lot of us, we, we have something that happened like, like this last week. It's like, oh, yeah, that was really cool, but I'm totally okay if we just go back to an average week and, and you know, some, some weeks something good happens, some weeks something nothing happens. It doesn't really matter. We're just going to go through the routine. And Paul says, wait a minute, don't dare live like that. There is a day coming when God says time is up and you don't know when it will be. And so you need to be, I need to be, we need to be redeeming the time for the cause of Christ because the days are evil. And here's, here's what happens. In Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 20, this is what's going to happen to a lot of people. That day is going to come and they're going to say the harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we're not saved. Can you just let that soak in for a moment? Church. The harvest is past. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord that comes like a thief in the night. Time's up. The growing season is over. 
The harvest is past. Summer's ended. And we're not saved. Now, church, there's going to be some people that you know, you love, that are important to you. And when that day of the Lord comes, they're going to be saying exactly what the people in this verse said. The harvest is past, and we're not saved. How many of us know people in our circle of friends, in our family structures, where we work, and we know they're not saved, but we walk around going, oh, we got plenty of time. What's the urgency? What's the rush? We got plenty of time. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. You don't know that you've got tomorrow. You don't know that that other person has tomorrow, church. The harvest is past and we're not saved. That's going to happen to some people that you know and love. And you know what, church? It's going to happen to some of you that are sitting here right now. You know why? Because you think you're okay. You think you're okay with God. You show up every Sunday or most Sundays for church. You pull out a few dollars and you put them in the offering plate and you think, man, I'm good with God. I'm okay. And that, my friends, is not salvation. That is not a relationship with the Lord of the universe. It is not salvation. It is not a relationship with the Jesus who died on that cross to save you and me from our sins. It is humbling our hearts and bowing our head and saying, Lord, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Forgive my sin. Come into my life and save me and help me live for you. And some of you here this morning are playing with this very passage of Scripture in your own life. And if you're not careful, if you don't respond like that young lady did who just got up out of her seat and followed Daryl Ryder because she knew she needed Jesus. And if you don't do the same and forget what anybody else thinks, you may be one of those very people who are saying the harvest is past and I'm not saved. But we don't like to think like that. See, we don't, we don't like to think about the end of time. We don't like to think about the end of our own life because we like to think, well, it's all okay. You know, it's, it's good. It's all okay. And by the way, when we're thinking about it's okay, whose who's scales are we using to decide whether it's okay or not? Whose scales are we using? Are, are we using ours? Or are we using God's scales? You know, and we have this really interesting uh, kind of uh, interaction with scales, don't we? I mean, you know, we, we, we have this faulty image of scales. Right, if the scale works in our favor, we like that scale. 
But if the scale doesn't work in our favor, we don't like that scale at all. We'll hide it in the corner until it apologizes. We'll threaten it. If it agrees with us, if it makes us feel better, all of a sudden that's a good set of scales. If it disagrees with us, then we would prefer to dismiss it completely out of hand or ignore it as if there's something wrong with it. And church, every one of us has a day where we are going to stand before the Lord. Every person that we are connected with in our family, in our friendships, in our workplace, every person is going to have a day where they stand before the Lord and whose scales are we thinking we're going to use to determine if it's okay. We're going to observe communion today. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, examine yourselves. Before, before you participate in communion, examine yourselves. Whose scales do you think Paul is suggesting that we use to examine ourselves? Ours or God's? Let's look at Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> In Revelation chapter 3, Paul, I mean not Paul, John writes uh, a letter to several different churches addressing their status, their condition of spirituality, of engagement with God as a church. And in verse 14... We read the letter to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things, says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Here's what he says to that church. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Now, let me, let me explain a little bit about that particular passage of Scripture for, because I think most of us don't really quite grasp exactly what the writer is communicating there. I could wish that you were cold or hot, but you're not. So imagine, if you will, that you've been out working on a hot, hot summer day. You've been expending yourself. You've been using all of your energy. And you have, you have toiled really, really hard. And you are exhausted and you come into the house at the end of that hard day of labor and what you want is a cold, refreshing glass of water or Gatorade or some other uh, beverage that, that quenches your thirst and gives you satisfaction and feels like it's replenishing something that your body has used up. And as you ever had that drink where you drink and, you, and you're so hungry and you're so thirsty, you feel it go all the way down. You ever had that? Man, and when you get one of those cold drinks after a hard day of work, hot work, man, nothing feels better. Or... On the flip side, imagine that it's a cold, cold day in the middle of the winter and you've had to get up, you've had to go out, you've had to take care of some chores and, and it is freezing outside and you feel chilled to the bone and you come back in the house and what you are desperate for because man, everything inside of you feels like it you know, just came out of Siberia and you want a great cup of hot coffee, amen. Or a cup of hot tea, which I don't understand, but that's okay. That's between you and the Lord. 
but there's something in that warmth that, that when it gets inside of you, it starts to warm you up from the inside out and it's so satisfying and it starts to restore you. And God is saying to the church at Laodicea, hey, listen, there's multiple ways that you can show the grace and the love of Jesus to the world in a satisfying, fulfilling way. You can be a glass of cold water on a hot day. You can be a warm cup of coffee or tea on a cold day that brings refreshment and refuelment and shows people how good God is. You can do either one of those things. But that's not what you're doing. He says, I wish you were cold or hot. Verse 16, because you're lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot. And I will vomit you out of my mouth. You're not cold, refreshing. You're not hot, refreshing. You have assumed room temperature. You have assumed the temperature of the culture because there is nothing about your life, Church of Laodicea, there is nothing about your life as individual believers, there is nothing about your testimony as a church that is going into the world and providing refreshment as a cold drink or nurturing as a hot drink. You have assumed the temperature of the culture of the surrounding environment. Church, is there any of you here this morning that thinks that if we as a church assume the temperature of our surrounding environment, that we're gonna be refreshing to the world who needs Jesus? And yet that's exactly what God said was going on in the church of Laodicea. And it is a warning not only to the church of Laodicea, it is a warning to every church that has ever planted the flag of Jesus Christ when he says, don't be okay. You know what okay is? Okay is lukewarm. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's just lukewarm. And how did they get there? Because in verse 17... You say, well, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. I'm okay. We're doing okay. I don't really need anything. I got all that I need. I got all that I necessarily want. Yeah, I could probably want a little bit more, but I don't really need anything more. I'm okay. And there are churches all across the landscape and church, as a speaker of the word of God, I warn us all this morning, Orchardville Church, do not allow yourselves to become okay. I got all I need. He said, well, this is how you think of yourself, but let me tell you what I think. You don't know that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You think you got everything, and I'm telling you, you got nothing. 
You're so not okay, you don't even know how not okay you are. You are so far from where you think you are, you don't even realize how far you are from even being okay. You're not even okay. Church, this is the danger of getting satisfied with God, of just getting okay. Okay as in your personal walk, okay as a church. And when churches have something really wonderful happen, the temptation is to draw back and go, well, that was kind of cool, and so now let's just go back to everything as normal. Verse uh, 19 there in that same passage, he says, Many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Do you know that zealous is like the complete opposite of okay? You know, I was talking to Daryl Strawberry while he was here. And, you know, he couldn't care less, honestly, about most of his life as a, as a baseball player. But one of the interesting things that we discussed is how, how rabid people can be as fans, right? Man, if you're a Cardinal fan, you're a Cub fan, I'm, I'm a South Carolina Gamecock fan, which was just brutal yesterday. If you're a Gamecock fan, it's just, I know you're not, I am. It was brutal. But you don't care if anybody knows that you're a fan. You, in fact, you want everybody to know you're a fan, right? I mean, if you're a fan, you want to you fly that color, you want to wear that shirt, you want everybody to know, man, I am a fan. We have no qualm, no problem whatsoever with showing our fandom in sports. And you know, of course, that fan is short for fanatic, right? You know that. And you know, we're not the least bit embarrassed in most cases of being a fanatic of our sports team. But boy, don't ever let somebody think you're a fanatic for Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want anybody to think I'm a fanatic for Jesus. But God says, okay is not okay. Be zealous. Get some oomph in you and repent. That young lady on Tuesday night, she didn't care. She didn't care. She just wanted Jesus. And she wanted all that Jesus had for her. That's what we all have to be, church. We got to want all that Jesus has for us. We don't care what anybody else thinks. Because it's about us and Jesus. <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12. Let's put, it, put this on the screen for you. The prophet says, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are settled in complacency. Complacency. You know what complacency is? We're okay. We're okay. I'm okay. We're okay. It's okay. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's okay. And God says through his prophet, I will punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, hey, listen, 
The Lord will do, not do good, nor will he do evil. You know what it's saying? Eh, you know, God ain't going to do anything really good. He ain't going to do anything really bad. It's just going to be, hey, same old, same old. God isn't going to mess with anybody in a bad way. He's not really going to do anything good either. We're just going to, you know, just kind of slog through another day. We're going to slog through another week. We're going to slog through another church service. And God said, I don't want none of that. I don't want none of that. I will punish the men who are settled in okay. Because just okay, church, is not okay. Say it with me. Just okay is not okay. It's not. The book of 2 Kings, read a situation with the prophet Elisha. And Elisha was dealing with the king of Israel. And in 2 Kings 13, verse 15, we read this. Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. And so the king took himself a bow and some arrows. And and let me just give you a, a little bit of a picture here. Okay, so the king grabs a bow and some arrows, which he probably grabbed a quiver, a quiver of arrows. And a quiver is probably going to have anywhere from... Uh, six to seven to maybe eight arrows in it. That's going to be a quiver of arrows. So the king grabs a bow. He grabs a quiver of arrows, which probably has anywhere from six to eight arrows in it. And in verse 16, Elisha says to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So the king grabs, he puts his hand on it. And then Elisha put his hands on the hands of the king. All right, so now here's what's going on. Here's the king. He's got a bow and he's got an arrow and he's got this thing like this. And Elisha puts his hands on the hands of the king and he is communicating what I'm about to say to you, king of Israel, is a message from God to you. I am speaking on behalf of God to you. This message is from God. Now make no mistake, the king of Israel understood exactly what was transpiring in this moment. He knew that when Elisha put his hands on his hands, that Elisha was saying, what I'm about to say is directly from God. And Elisha said in verse 17, open the east window. He opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. Here's the message from God through Elisha to the king. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. What you just did, king, represents deliverance. It represents victory over your opponent. Everything that I'm saying is about your freedom. It is about your victory. It is about your deliverance. You must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Now, he's just shot one arrow. He's got a quiver. So that means he probably has anywhere from five to to seven more arrows left. So Elisha says, take the arrows. The king took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground 
three times and stopped. All right, strike the ground. The first arrow went through the window and struck the ground. That was an indicator of victory and freedom from the oppression of Syria. And so the man of God, this is, hey, hey, king, this is from God for you. It's for deliverance. It's for victory. It's for freedom. Take the arrows, strike the ground, and that represents your deliverance. So he's got five to seven more arrows. He takes one, poof, takes another, poof. And I think by the time he got to the third, he goes, oh, man, this is just stupid, poof. Okay, I'm good. I'm done. Wait, King, this is about your freedom. This is about victory. This is about deliverance. And you've still got quiver uh, arrows in your quiver. Verse 19, the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck five or six times, then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it, but now you will strike Syria only three times. The man of God got mad at the king. I tell you, I think this is an occupational hazard for God's men. Because time after time, in church after church, in place after place, God's man will speak to a person, will speak to a church and urge that person or urge that church to stand up and claim victory and be all in, not give a half-hearted effort to the cause of Christ. And time after time, people go, well, you know, I'll do a little bit here. I'll do a little bit there. And then after a little while, ah, that's enough. That's enough. And God is saying, if you had just persisted, if you had just persevered, if you had gone all in, you would have known victory, complete victory. You would have had joy. You would have had transformation. But you just couldn't give yourself all the way because you were satisfied with okay. And the man of God knows the price that you will have to pay. Because it will cost you when you don't go all in. It will cost you. It will cost your family. It will cost your church. Because okay is not okay. Just okay in the cause of Christ is not okay. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. He was telling us how to live. He goes, not lagging in diligence, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You know, what's the big deal, right? I mean, I'm not out running around in the world, you know, living wild and raising Cain and, you know, doing all sorts of bad things. What's the big deal? Church, that is not the definition of following Jesus, meaning you don't run around in the world doing bad things. That is not the definition of your salvation. The definition of your salvation is giving your heart to Christ and then living a life that's pleasing to him. And okay is not okay. Okay. 
James 4, 17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. Hey, don't tell me you're not running around living wild and doing things in your life that, that are bad and ugly and that's enough. No, it's not enough because uh, he says in James, James says, if you know to do good, you know to do good and you don't do that, that's sin. See, a lot of us are satisfied that we don't go do ugly things in the world and that's, that's good enough for God. No, it's not. Because Paul said we shouldn't be lagging in diligence. We need to be fervent in spirit. Does fervent sound like an okay word? Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. That is our duty. That is the life that God has called us to. But we go, well, hey, listen. I don't have time for that. But you know, I'm a good Christian because I'm not running around doing all those other things. I'm okay. And James says, no, you're not. Because if you know to serve the Lord fervently and be diligent, and you're not, that's sin. Just okay is not okay. One more verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. Same chapter. Start of the chapter, verse 2. He says, be watchful. Strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die for I have not found your works perfect before God strengthen the things which remain which are ready to die some of you may know this some of you may not but there's this thing called the law of thermodynamics And the second law of thermodynamics says that anything left to itself will decay. Right? You mean you leave something alone long enough and it'll just start to to go to pot. It'll decay. And so he's saying in Revelation 3, 2, you take care of the things that I've given you that are about to die. Because if you don't tend them, You don't take care of them. You don't feed them in the spirit. You don't do all the things that that I've commanded you and urged you to do. Those things that you have, you ain't going to keep them because they're going to die. Church, we're going to observe communion today. And that's an observation of the fact that we serve a, a God that sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer to suffer on your behalf, on my behalf, on our behalf, to be crucified, embarrassed, and hung on a cross for our benefit, for our salvation. And and when we observe communion, we're declaring that, that fact. We're remembering and acknowledging that fact. And as we come to the end of our service today, I just want to remind you that we don't, we don't have an okay God. We have a great God. And we don't serve a God of okay. We serve a God of all in. Church, just okay is not okay. Showing up at church every week or every other week or however often, putting a little money in that does not make you a Christian. There is a day coming 
we will all give an account of our lives. It won't be our scales. It'll be God's scales. And his scales are true. His scales are accurate. His scales are just. Don't be one of those people that says the harvest is past and we are not saved. Don't be okay with taking all the time you need to share that with your friends and family because, hey, we got plenty of time. One of them may be one of those people that says the harvest is past and we are not saved. Don't be okay with an okay church. We have a great God. We need to have a great church. Would you stand? Father, have your will as we sing, as we respond. You are deserving of nothing less, God, than all that we have to offer. You are deserving, God, of nothing less than our best. Lord, as people leave here today, may they know that they know that first of all, they have given their heart and their life to you. And then second of all, they're walking with you in full submission for your glory and their benefit. Have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.